poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and John Chai. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, these are your hosts of Tactical Tuesday, Coach Brad Wilson and John Chai. Looks like we have the easy hand replayer open, which means only one thing, that live poker John is back. What's up, sir? How's it going, Brad? Yep, live poker John is indeed Brack. Brack? uh, Who's Brack? Back. Back, <laughs> Brad plus back. Uh, actually, it's not only it's not only live poker today. There's a uh, there's an extra wrinkle on top of on top of these live hands, and that's that both of these hands that we're going to go over today were played in the context of the stand up game. Have you ever have you ever played that, Brad? Have you ever? I haven't. Part- I haven't took- ever partaken partook in the stand up game in live poker. I don't think it was a thing 10 years ago, but seems to be a thing. <laughs> Is that the last time you played live poker? In earnest, probably. Not yeah. not 10 years ago, but probably 7 or 8 years like that I actually put in a, a decent amount of volume. It's been quite a quite a while. Okay. Well, it's a really simple game and I'll explain it for you and the the listeners who yeah. haven't played. Before it's, you uh, before you yeah. go ahead though, uh, I want to pause for a moment because I do want to mention that just this week, speaking of live poker, um, I have released a brand new course, uh, Live Cash Preflop Bootcamp, that's essentially based on mass data analysis and theory, breaks down um, live poker strategy versus two profiles, both regs and the fish. It's taken me, you know, six to eight months to develop much, much, much longer than I originally anticipated. And through the course of making um, live cash preflop bootcamp, I had multiple kind of major decisions to make. Uh, sometimes I, I thought like, wow, this is just, it's too good of information to sell it publicly. Like th- this was like a genuine thought of like, I want to withhold this for the wolves um, specifically. And then over time, I kind of reached the conclusion that like a, I've already told a bunch of people in the village that I'm making it. And so like making it private instead of public feels uh, not great. And then B, like the live poker market is so big that it felt like the the downside just wasn't as big as it would be if, you know, it was a smaller pool and on the online streets, there's just, you know, tons of live tables all around the country every moment you can't play more than one at a time so there's you know just a, the market is really 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 big in live poker but i don't really know of anything else like it that's on the market and it just got finished um at the end of this month i believe i haven't set an exact day but just like the original uh preflop boot camp i'm going to be going through the first iteration myself with the whole group um that buy in the next few weeks and um, yeah, so it's $499, the price of a buy-in at two five, And yeah, I just, uh, I, I guess one way that I can kind of 
see or understand or feel the value of something that I make is when I'm like actively learning while I'm making it. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I can't believe that this is, I thought about this spot very, very differently than what the data is informing me right now. And um, that's how I know that like major upgrades are being made. And a lot of the things are not intuitive and it's just, uh, it's been a big project and I'm excited to to get it out there. And it's on, on sale now at chasingpokergreatness.com. Yeah, it's a huge, huge course. Um, it also works pretty well for online nine max, right? Sure. I mean that that's where like a lot of the data used to to build it was taken from, right? Because I mean, it's really hard to do data analysis in live poker hands. You just don't get enough to really map out much. And so, you know, my my thought was that what's a good analog for live poker? A good analog is you know nine max and full ring online. Um, and yeah, from what I've seen from anecdotal feedback of people that have been, you know, play testing the, the strats over the course of the, the last like four or five months, um, pretty much in line. So yeah, pretty, uh, pretty proud, pretty excited. And it's just an insanely, insanely valuable thing that, uh, yeah, just ready to roll it out. If you're interested, I would suggest investing into a massive strategic upgrade when you're playing live poker. Is Queen Jack offsuit in the open under the gun opening range in live preflop bootcamp? Because it is not. It is that, not. That's um, look. That looks like it's what's about to happen here. I don't think that it makes it in. Okay. Where I could probably, I probably need to invest in. Yeah, we're eight handed, but you do have some other data points and some other factors <laughs> that you're considering. As is what happens when you play live poker, right? There's most of the time some other considerations. <laughs> Um, you know, stack depth, uh, straddles, button straddles, UTG, like just all kinds of, um, if you're playing a home game, there's like the rock, right? Yeah. Which is like a straddle every hand type scenario. That's a little bit unique. And one of the reasons why I think live poker is just, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's different. There's always challenge, new challenging problems that are going to pop up that you've probably never experienced before, just because there are just so many different available possibilities. Yeah, there's a, a wider range of variables in, in life for sure. And and stand up is is one of them. Just one of some of the myriad of things that never happen online that change, you know, completely change strategy when you're playing poker. It, it happens pretty regularly when you're playing live. You know, what's what's kind of messed up about the stand up game is like it could have like this could be a thing online, right? Like it yeah. could totally be a, a game for format. Sure, for sure. Um in the same way that like back in the day Ultimate Bet had Deuce to Seven as a format right where like you just make a table and it's a deuce to seven game table and like at two big blinds like go up above your head and if you win a pot with seven deuce then you get the two big blinds uh, from everybody's head that's you yeah. know worth uh i guess 12 total big blinds and i mean those games were incredibly fun they were just like it was just really 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 fun it, it introduced an extra just a different dynamic to the table um, and I don't really understand why the online poker platforms that, you know, serve the U S market have like, they don't do any of these things, which is just ACR does bomb pots. Yeah. I mean, bomb pots, right? Like this, like it's just, ugh, anyway, don't get me started, but yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, like they could do the stand up game online. Um, and basically like if you left a table before the game ended, you would just lose essentially. Sure. Okay. Sure. So yeah. anyway, let's, uh, Describe the stand-up game for the listener, uh, maybe somebody that's never played it before, sure. and even for myself, so I can kind of get 
get all the variables, see what's going so, on. So stand-up game like you like you might have guessed from the name is a game where all eight players at the table uh stand up uh usually at the start of a like a new dealer change or something like that. And the only way you get to sit down is if you win a hand. Um you can bluff it, you can win at showdown, it doesn't matter how you win, but as long as you win a hand, you get to sit down. The last person left standing owes the other seven players at the table a bounty. Um, in this case, it was a $100 bounty. So the last person standing would have lost $700 and had to pay everyone one black chip. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that, that you know, you can probably just from hearing the, the parameters of the game, parameters of the game, you can probably begin imagining just how, how much action it begins inducing. Um, I came to this table while they were in the middle of a stand-up game, so I had to wait for them to finish their game before being able to join. And uh, the last hand of their stand-up game was the under-the-gun player open ripping $2,500, which is 250 big blinds. Everybody folded, and then he just says, like, whew, and table's 9-3 off. And just says, like, I didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't, I didn't want to be, you know, I didn't want to be the last one standing. So just a, a peek into... The madness that that can ensue when when there are only two people left standing yeah it makes sense um i would imagine that a lot of things are going to change probably even from the jump a lot more three betting a lot more late position battles um yeah. probably a bigger opening size <clears throat> in late position just doing whatever they can to you know essentially win the pot yeah that's one of the things that i feel like i learned definitely picked up in the last you know eight to 10 rounds of stand-up or whatever that I played played this week was that um, especially when everyone is standing up early, early in the round, one of the things that seems really, really powerful is just a really, really massive pre-flop three bet when everyone's still up. It's just like people don't have incentive to bluff catch or like play sheriff when, you know, when they don't have to yet. And it's still just, you know, you can still just have a monster and be, you know, three betting huge to, to balance when you're when you are going to three bet just to try to steal the pot and and take your seat so um yeah there's there's tons of strategic implications just right off the bat yeah i mean another one is like just sitting down earlier seems like a massive edge because mm-hmm. the earlier you sit down the more that you can kind of passively yep get in the mix with these like crazy nine tray off jam type yep. scenarios. Like you can just yep. pick people off basically and like some, some more obvious scenarios. So like, yeah, it seems like there's a lot, a big advantage to sitting down more quickly, even though you don't have to, obviously you don't pay the bounty if you're like heads up, but getting down earlier just seems like a big edge, like yeah. monetarily. Keep, being seated and keeping people standing, I think is a, a huge part of, of stand-up game and that was something that that was like that was one of the things that i just never realized until i actually sat down and was like in there and i was like oh my god like it's great to be sitting down they 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 can just you know they can do tons of things to like force us to stand because they know exactly you know just how desperate we are to to win pots and yeah i mean it's kind of like uh it's kind of like a weird bubble scenario where you you know the people who are sitting down that are in like a good position, they just, they don't want the bubble to, to bust, right? Like right. they're trying to keep the bubble going as long as possible. And the people that are standing up just want it to end as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, if they're like two or three left. So yeah, definitely cool little invention. Um, so let's dive in and I'll participate in the, the first stand up game that I've ever participated in here today on tactical Tuesday. 
So this is the very first hand of my first stand-up game ever. Again, I'd been observing a little bit and seeing the guy, you know, open jam the 9-3 off when he was heads up, standing up. Um, so got a little bit of a taste. Everybody's standing at this point? What's Everyone the... is standing, brand new, fresh game. I look yep. down at Queen Jack offsuit, first tax, and I already have no idea what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, may as well get in the mix, right? I yeah. doubt you're going to fold. So I guess we're just going to start here. Um, I think you should probably do be doing something pre-flop other than normal open sizes and whatever. It just does not feel like... I mean, pre-flop just looks so bizarre. Like, someone opens to 30, right, in a 5-10 game, which this is where we're all about $2,000 effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the 3-bet the will be to, like, 300 <laughs> Sure. Um, it makes sense. Yeah, so which, I... Yeah. Yeah, just... Any quick thoughts on on opening strategy? Like, I'm sure it's going to be very, very different based on how many people are standing. But let's just take this first scenario of of when everybody is standing. Um, I mean, the first thing that I would like really be sweating and paying attention to would be any additional data points that I could use to help me. So, just blinds. Who's who are in the blinds? Are they defending a ton? Are they fighters? Um, have they peeked at their cards yet? Is there any sort of information that I can get from them peeking at their cards? Like just really trying to figure out like as much as I possibly can in the, in the absence of like no information, um, you have like this weird sort of dynamic where, you know, the three bets going to be huge. You said, or people tend to three bet much bigger in the standup game. Um, does that mean that your open size should be much bigger to, you know, kind of counteract that? Or should you just open regular and... Benefit from these massive oversized three bets. Massive oversized three bets that that are coming either way. You know, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, You limp? Yeah, I guess you could, right? Like, there's just, there's a lot of different ways that it could go. Um, So I don't know. Um, But looks like you're going to play this hand so let's just dive into the hand and then I'll give my thoughts as sort of the action comes to us. I kind of just froze up, didn't know what to do. So I just opened. I was like, I'm pretty sure I should play this hand, but I don't know exactly how how, how yeah. to get in there. So I just started with normal open. Mm-hmm. Folds around to the blinds. Mm-hmm. Um, who are both, I mean, button for, I don't know, your data points, like the button and blinds, in my opinion, were both fighters, I guess. Um, yeah. The big blind is the kind of the main villain in this hand. He's, you know, seems like a very competent reg. He was actually the guy who was, uh, you know, seemed like the person who was trying to get everyone to play stand-up. So sure. he's even very comfortable playing stand-up. Saw him do like lots of things in the in the handful of rounds that he played that, you know, sort of confirmed that and made me, made me realize that he's probably much better at stand-up than I am. One like interesting thing about opening bigger pre, I can't imagine the big blind is folding any two here. Yeah, it's really hard for the big blind to fold or even the small blind to fold when you make it any yeah. normal raise. Like size. they just they they just have a lot of incentive to call, to peel like any two um yep. facing a 3x open. So that would be my the first argument for, you know, opening larger than than normal here is that like as soon as I saw the action and I was like, "Oh, the small blind flats and the big blind like they should call seven deuce off." Like they they yeah. just have to call like any two basically. And, yeah. Um give themselves a chance to to win early. Now this is a good board. Um, so yeah. John opened with Queen Jack off. 
everybody folded, small blind, big blind called, and ace king deuce rainbow is the flop. And yeah, I could see just a lot of different ways that you could go about starting your your C betting strategy here. Um, what would what would you, what would you do? I mean, you you could. I would probably overbet. I mean, and probably just go for like three streets. Like yeah. just ace king deuce rainbow is just such a good board for the pre flop opener here versus the blinds that yeah, I would just go ham essentially. Yeah. That was that was my plan. Um I didn't really overbet I didn't I didn't go as far as overbetting the flop. I ended up potting the flop, um, but was just planning on on the same thing you said and just kind of just going ham for three streets. Mm-hmm. I looked at this board and my first thought was, oh my God, I'm going to bluff off my stack in my first hand of stand-up because I opened under the gun and the board was ace-king-deuce and I'm playing against the blinds. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so, right? Like, I mean, this is just a good situation under normal circumstances. And in this circumstance, it just feels way better. Yep, yep. So I plotted the big blind calls, yeah. Big blind does call, which is concerning. Oh my god, this is the most beautiful turn I've ever seen in my life. The turn is a 10 of hearts, which gives John the nuts. Oh, this guy's going to call down light because it's stand up. Like, just, oh. I, I couldn't uh, believe it. <laughs> you can't believe that you, you have a hand on Ace King 10. Um, I think you're supposed to have a hand here in general. Like, am I? In a normal game, yeah. In a normal game, like I'm not sure the the eight eight handed aspect of the, like I don't know. I, I, honestly, I'm not exactly sure, but you do have a good hand, so I guess you potted the flop. So now it's kind of just big bet the turn, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I go and do. I expect to get called down like. like I don't know, like lighter than normal for sure. Like I think I there's extra you know, kind of there's extra EV and bluffing for me because I get to, you know, there's this overlay in the pot from getting to sit down and, you know, not having to pay a hundred and, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, again, I expected definitely to get called down by like every two pair, which is pretty normal anyways, but like probably every ace X as well. I don't know what you think about that. Or I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't know. Like, okay. I, think, I don't know. That's sort of what I was what I was thinking and hoping. So, anyways, he checks. I potted again. A happy pot this time. <laughs> Sad pot on the flop. Happy pot when you turn the nuts. Um, Ooh, board pairs on the river. Ace king deuce ten king. Mm-hmm. Big blind checks as they should. Yeah. Um, I was planning on ripping like brick rivers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one feels like now. I could size down. It's, um, I don't think it's like an ultra threatening card. As far as like you losing the pot, I guess they do have some like King 10 or King deuce. I I do think that like you potting and potting like pre, like on the flop in the turn, like they do need to have something. Like, I don't think they're just like messing around here with like, just a deuce or something like that, right? Like, yeah. I, they, they need to have right. something to call down. So, um, I mean, jamming still seems reasonable for the scenario. Like, I don't... Okay. I would much rather 
I would have, I would be way more concerned on like a heart river mm-hmm. than a, the king specifically. Like an yeah. ace is obviously not not a great river. Um, the king is like less threatening, and a heart because the ace and the king are not hearts, so like they probably do have like pair plus flush draws a ton. So yeah, like uh, I mean, I think I would just stick to the plan, your your plan, and just jam the just river. Jam your targeting like king x of hearts or whatever king x they have, king jack, king queen, or maybe. even like trying to get like ace x the hero, you know, with just thinking that like we could just be having yeah, some going like, crazy because this board is good for us yeah exactly oh, yeah. have some like busted busted hearts ourselves or like maybe okay. queens or jacks that were it's just it's really hard for us to have queens and jacks potting a flop um but yeah i size down was a little too worried i guess about like not getting heroed by enough asex and you know doing a lot of value cutting myself versus like king ten, king deuce and king 10 um it's, it's interesting like why does the king make it harder to get called by asex rationally i don't think it makes it necessarily makes it harder to get called by king x than it does on brick rivers but A-sex. now they're just they're fewer or sorry asex on brick rivers but they're now just like fewer two pair combos that i can target on the river whereas like on brick rivers i can hope that you just you know calls sure. with ace deuce and ace 10 and whatever hit the river um now that seems unlikely unlikely given that these those two pairs are counterfeited yeah I think a, probably a decent portion of the range is going to be like king queen and king jack too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now that I now that we look at it, 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 it there does seem to be like a pretty reasonable king x region that I can target here. Really, yeah. the king x of hearts is just you know he's going to have every single one. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh no, the hell, <laughs> you checked? Oh no, I did not check. I guess the replayer, small glitch in the replayer. So the, the replayer in, says that you checked. I was like, we, okay, so I, I don't understand this strat. <laughs> I, I bet three quarters on the river. I bet like 600-ish on the river. Um, the big blind tanks for not very long, maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And I'm obviously just praying that he calls when he when he goes into the tank. Yeah. Um, he tanks and then he calls. And I flip over my hand and like, Get ready to like. I, I take. I actually flipped over my hand and took my seat. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thinking like, oh, if you take on, and he says, no, 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 not so fast. Like, like, <laughs> it's not over. I'm like, over. oh my god, I value cut myself. He was thinking about raising with king dudes or king ten, and he just decided not to. And then he tables queen jack. So mm. we chop. Well, you almost did it in your first first attempt. Yeah. As it turns oh, out, it was devastating. I was like, wow, I'm gonna get my seat and win a pretty big pot and just like get to you know do whatever I want sitting down for the rest of stand-up game and then all of that was taken away from me. Well, after that exciting and dramatic conclusion to hand number one where John chops the pot in his, the first hand he ever played in the stand-up game, we're going to take a short break here and move to hand number two where hopefully, does somebody win the second hand? Is there a winner here? Can't spoil it. Can't spoil it. Let's hope there's a winner because there wouldn't be much to spoil if it was two chop everybody pots. Everybody loves chop pots. They do. They do. Everybody. You've survived preflop boot camp. You've shot the fish in a barrel. Now, prepare yourself for the feeding frenzy. A comprehensive strategy for gutting every fish in your player pool. 
data-driven hero bluffs, light call-downs, and perfect value bets that are maximally designed to hurt some feelings. Feeding Frenzy. Available now at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash Feeding Frenzy. All right. Welcome back to today's stand-up episode of Tactical Tuesday. And, you know, if the, the if tying is like kissing your sister, then if hand number two is a tie, John, then we're entering like full-on make-out episode with your sister here so please we need we have to avoid this at all costs you've never done that before unless that is kind of unless that's kind of (laughs) i guess there there may be a certain subset of the audience that enjoys like yeah that's rooting for that if if that's you then okay good good for you um john i guess you'll serve Hey, if that's you, definitely stay stay tuned to the end of the sound. <laughs> You're serving a very underserved uh, demographic that listens to Tactical Tuesday. And I can only imagine what your parents are thinking right now uh, as we do this. So hand number two, full ring, again, eight-handed. Uh, yeah. You got the ace nine off. Um, looks like you're expanding your... Under the gun. Got ace nine off. I'm under the gun again. All right. Well, well. Let me let me give you a little bit of context. I'm in a very stressful situation here, where it's me and just a small blind left standing, which sure. is why I feel compelled <laughs> to VPIP this hand in some way. Um, this is a little deeper in the stand-up game, uh, or not not even deeper in the same game, um, but just it was like a it was like the second or third round of stand-up. Um, I feel. As I if, <laughs> I mean, just like the setup of the the stand-up game, it feels like you don't want to have a lot of depth. Oh, not the, having depth is worth a lot, I think, in stand-up. Like, you don't want to be deep because, like, you want to maintain the ability to just, like, jam pre. Yeah, yeah. And the overlay like, is the overlay, regardless of how, you know, how much you're risking with your, with your jam. Um, yeah, yeah. No. Depth seems to be, like, a huge advantage. Like the people who are not as deep as the other people just seem to be at like a big advantage in the stand-up game, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with that said, like here, you're under the gun. Um, I would be a little bit concerned because the small blind can I mean they they're everybody in- knows. Everybody knows, which is just like the scariest thing. It's like I'm looking around at these, you know, six other seated people and they're just like hungrily like, all right, man. You know you gotta beep up this hand. What are you gonna what are you gonna do? Can you straddle? I don't know. Nobody nobody was straddling in the in the thing, but that's a I wish I did. I, I, I don't understand I why you wouldn't straddle. Yeah. Because then you at least get like to yeah, see last what the small blind does. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a really yeah, big yeah, deal yeah, yeah, yeah. in this this scenario. Nobody had been straddling. I I did not put it on. Got it. Didn't even okay. think to. All right. So that's a good that's a good adjustment. I should straddle every time I'm under the gun and stand up. I think just yeah, I would I would think that's good. Um, well, you don't straddle, so now here we are. And honestly, I don't really know what to do. I know folding is off the table. Um, yeah, the last guy who was here open ripped with more three than this for nine three off. Off, with nine three off. So yeah, so I mean, I guess like the first thing is to think about like the profitability of like just open ripping like and how often everybody folds Ugh. 
and then how much equity it's weird because like it's calls. it's worth an extra hundred dollars to open rip and get it through yeah but if you don't get it through there's like this well i mean presumably you lose 1500 a lot of the time and then you're still at risk to lose 700, 700 more, more because you're still live for the stand-up game sure i mean in that case i'm not really sure what i would do i i don't i don't really know just gut feeling. Uh, you know, everyone's looking at you. You got to make gut, a decision. Gut feeling is to just open big, but alternatively, I can imagine like limping as well. But I think I would just open to like one fifty or two hundred or something, and just hope that. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what <laughs> I'm hoping for. Do you call? Um, that's a good point. Definitely call it the small blind jams. You have to call it. Like yeah. if you limped and everybody folded small no, blind, no, no. And they if you jammed, make it two hundred, no, no, I'm saying oh, if you limped, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see, you I see, would I see, still yeah. call all in right, if right, they right. jammed. Like yes, yes, it doesn't yes. really like the small blind jams. Like you just you've got no choice. Um, the other players, it, it's really interesting, right? Because like they all have incentive to attack yeah. a big open. Dude, this game is so much fun. I, I I'm I, all I could do is think about stand up game after. Yeah, I think I would limp now that yeah. I think about okay. it and. Do the do essentially the same thing as a straddle, except I don't have my option. Right, kind of like a blind straddle. call. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I think that's probably, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea if that's the best way to go, but I think that's the strat that I, I think I land on. Okay, yeah, that's what I, that's what I landed on too. Was, flip. Oh. You did it. Oh man, I was like, yes. whoa, over limp from a guy that's s- sitting. Interesting. Okay. Whoa! Another guy that's sitting over. Okay, now, now, now the real sweat, the small yeah, one. This is uh, this is a pretty big one. Yeah. Okay, so John limped, cut off limp, button limp, and the small blind makes it thirteen bigs, which is a weird. It's so weird. I'm so confused. Oh, should I be terrified? Like, does he actually have a, a good hand? Wouldn't he just jam? I don't think that they should have any size other than like, okay. So the thing that really scares me is he knows that this is never getting through. At least it's, it's never getting through me at least. Sure. He's either getting jammed or called and he made it like a really reasonable price. And so I'm just like terrified. I'm like, wow, why would he, why would he give me a reasonable price? I have a question. So like if you folded, would the cutoff and the button call? Generally, or fold because they get their bounty. I think the sitting players would do whatever they could to keep as many players standing for as long as possible. So you think that, you know... I don't think they would fold just to collect the bounty. They would consider, like, okay, like, what's the EV of keeping these guys up for, potentially keeping these guys up for future hands? Yeah. That seemed to be a big, big concern for everybody. How many hands does it take for, like, one person to sit down? Like, I mean, like how, how long does like the stand-up game generally last? I mean, I guess you probably don't have these answers, but like, it I'm never lasted longer than I would say 20 minutes, right? Like we never got close to the next dealer change and had someone standing really. And sometimes we were playing like, I don't know if this makes a difference, but sometimes we we're playing six or seven handed. Okay. So, I mean, essentially that's like 20 hands, right? Uh, 20 hands in half an hour? That seems like a lot. I know. Well, six-handed it would be, but 
I guess fifteen hands, like yeah, something like that. Yeah, which means somebody's going down like every other hand. Well, the person that's sitting could win a hand, one of those hands. Right, right, right. But yeah. but I'm saying like the game typically like when there's two people standing. Yeah. Um, it's probably going to last, you know, two to three extra hands. So, like, essentially, what is one hand worth to the person who's sitting? Oh, I see, I see. In keeping the game going, and yeah. that hand has to be worth more than a hundred dollars in order yeah, to for not sure. for sure, defend, for sure, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you're also still alive for the hundred later on anyway. So it's not like you're foregoing that hundred. Well, you always get the hundred. Yeah, you always. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're you you always have that hundred. Yeah. yeah so, so you, you should just keep the game going. Like, yeah, you you yeah. always get the hundred no matter what. Um, I don't know. The degen in me just says to just rip it in and like whatever. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I was know. so scared. I was like, he wouldn't do this with a weak hand, like a hand that he's gonna fold, would he? Like that's just that seems insane. It just seems like a weird situation to even do with like a really strong hand because like, yeah, why wouldn't you wouldn't just you balance go bigger? Too? Like, yeah. wouldn't you just go like three hundred? Why would you go one thirty? I don't understand. Like. So I, I, I honestly am not sure. I think I would just jam and hope for the best. I, I don't I don't think I don't know what else I can do. Like limp call with ace nine off and take it four ways. Like that seems not good. I'm so scared. I was like I like I can't fold, but I, I I'm now I'm just terrified that I'm ripping into like ace king plus or something. Like how <laughs> You know, you know, one of the things you say is like, dude, when people do weird stuff or like take the weird line, it's it's much easier to find it when you have. Is this know, a weird thing? A I don't know. Like, I it did. feels like that's what it is because the normal thing seems to be to just jam. So like when they pick the non-jam, you know, it's like when someone picks a five bet size instead of jamming preflop, right? In yeah. a normal game, you're like, oh my God, he has aces. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but. I don't know what else to do other than raise. Like, I think the small blind raising is happening at like a frequency beyond uh, 60% plus. And like, if that, if that is the case, then like I would just take, I guess the, another interesting part of this is like, do they have to call all in if you jam because they lose 700 by folding? Yeah. But if they call and lose, then they yeah. also lose their stack and could and, also lose an additional 700. Yeah. Ugh. I'm gonna need like days to think about this. Oh, uh, I don't think I can come to a coherent, coherent thought here live. Um, spoiler alert, by the way, I, I haven't had a chance to look at these hands to think about <laughs> them at all before we went on air. Um, yeah, I think I just jam. Like I, I don't yeah. really know what else to do. Other I think I, I think I, I butchered it this hand preflop and likely later down the road too because there are later down the road decisions because oh, I don't there jam. Are. It doesn't and just I don't end fold. here. Okay, so you called, and the cutoff and the button both fold. Which yeah, I was surprised by that too. I thought something was going to happen for sure. Like not, I mean, call would be like the minimum. But I was like, oh, could one of these guys even just be like trapping, knowing that the small blind is going to raise like, like a ton, and then just like back jam here, like and just pick up an extra three hundred dollars. Like that would be pretty sweet for, for I don't, one of them to do. Yeah, I think they should have like pure opens after you limp. You have to limp. I think this is like the first part. Like you've got a VPIP somehow. Yeah. So like you, your hands are tied. You have to do this. So like yeah, I think I have to. Yeah, yeah your okay. VPIP shouldn't look strange. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of like forced right. based on the scenario, which means yeah. like you're not, you're almost certainly not trapping because it's like really hard to. 
be right. forced to do something and get an actual good range. hand. Yeah. yeah. So like I would imagine that they're they should probably be ISOing with their better hands and not over limping because that's going to create a weird thing with the small blind too. I, I guess what I was thinking was like they could take some of their like mid middling hands, like a hand like ace 10 off or something like that, or ace jack off, right? Mm-hmm. Flat behind, count on the small blind to ISO. Like we said, like that's just going to happen, you know, 60 plus percent of the time. And then if I don't jam from under the gun, they just have like a really, really clear jam with yeah maybe I'm, their entire, you know. I'm I'm just under both. Like I, I think I'm just like using both like givens here that you've got a limp and the small blind has the ISO at a high frequency. Ace nine off is like better than most hands. Yeah. Um. So if they have kings, whatever, like you still have thirty percent equity or whatever. It's not like you're just like drawing dead. Yeah. And if the small blind is so blessed to have kings here, then I mean, they they deserve this stack, right? Like how sure. how could you how could you yeah. be so fortunate? Um. But anyway, your heads up, and this is a real battle now because oh, this is thank this is God. this is the battle, the two last remaining yeah. tributes here in hunger games um you flop top here top kicker and i mean it's good life yeah oh thank god that's all i could think was like i didn't know what i was gonna do if i just totally whiffed this flop and yeah we do have some interesting decisions down the line though because i think in this case equity protection becomes actually a thing Oh, dude, it's so it's worth so much. Yeah, they check. And he checks. He checks. And checking. Check range? Doubt it. I doubt it. Because, like, you need to bet tens and jacks and queens. Right? Like, well, I don't, I don't even have those, right? No, the small blind. Oh, the small blind. I see. Like, Oh, for equity protect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they have the same incentive to just win to win now like yeah. really to win now they they have that incentive right which means like to me that either a they flopped a hand that is like so exceptionally strong that they're happy checking it which yeah. is like a straight yeah probably a set or they probably don't have a hand that's so great um maybe they have like i mean even a hand like sevens and eights can make a really great argument for just betting the flop here yeah uh any pair right any pair yeah Yeah. yeah, any pair um aces i guess if they were to have aces that's a hand that like could probably get away with checking some but yeah i I would i I would see this as like a really good sign that yeah yeah you're in in good shape likely not someone that's checking range and probably trending towards someone that just i mean if you start piecing together some of the data points like the 130 raise pre-flop and then you know just use that to infer that they're, they're probably not checking those like super strong hands on the flop just yeah from a player caliber perspective i think so yeah very very happy to see this check um but then it sort of just again puts a inter- interesting decision uh back it's in our bad. hands i mean do you bet like a normal size you just rip it i don't think i would rip it i don't think i would need to but i would like bet pot or close 250, 200, 200 to 300 would be. Do you think jam should be your. Hmm. I was sort of thinking along the lines that like jam here should be my only size. Like if it's like a, if you, I don't know if this is again, if this is correct, I'm just sort of completely winging it here. There's sort of like the $700 overlay in the pot mm-hmm. basically, which make, 
basically kind of makes it like a thousand dollar pot right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're one hundred thirty seven big blinds effective on the flop. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I like I think jamming is probably okay, but I don't. I I wouldn't see the need for it personally. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I do end up jamming. No idea what size is correct. I don't know if the jam ever gets heroed by like you know ace high type stuff or just any pair on the board any mm-hmm. you know sevens or eights that do decide to check maybe like all the six x and five x um i don't know what he does with the worst nine i assume he never folds i don't know if he checks it on the flop though um yeah a lot of odd things going on yeah saves us from having to make tough decisions on overcard runouts yeah although i think like betting pot does the same right like you know, does king queen high just like check call the flop facing pot? Mm, probably not. They probably just check jam if they're yeah. going to continue in any way. And I don't yeah. think them like check jamming over cards is like bad for us. Oh, it's not. Yeah. Like at some point, like we're getting like great value here. Right, right. Right. Yeah. With them having like available bluffs. So that's like, that's an interesting like thing that I'm that or like a backdoor flush draw, like ace four of diamonds. Like mm-hmm. if you can get that hand to jam the flop, that's like a that's really really yeah. really great for for your hand. Yeah. Um, for hands the record, tanking, hands up tanking for a while, not you know I'd say like maybe like a two minute tank or something, which is I think is understandable mm-hmm. given the situation, and then uh, decides to fold. Yeah, it's pretty expected, I think, based on the action. Um, for the podcast listener, John has top top eight, five six nine. He has ace nine off, um, and just open rips it. 5x no makeout session with the sister today on tactical tuesday so yeah it's hard it's hard to hard to get there with this hand and on this board yeah i mean they could just have ace nine and call and then yeah i guess yeah the other guy did have queen jack same scenario uh but congrats have you lost the stand-up game yet i guess no i actually haven't i have not paid out yet so my my streak is is perfect but I've, I've i've gotten heads up twice and oh my god it is just like the <laughs> most stressful slash exhilarating hands of poker i've played is when your hands up, heads up in the stand-up game yeah you should just challenge somebody to play heads up all-time stand-up game <laughs> 500 a hand you lose a hand <laughs> you, you fold a hand you have to pay 500 yeah exactly just uh, <laughs> uh that's what berkey and airball should be doing <laughs> um yeah interesting concept interesting conversation here on tactical tuesday it's pretty pretty cool and something that i'll definitely be having some thoughts about i think a fun maybe sequel episode to the stand-up game episode would be a couple hands from the sitting down perspective and like mm. what cool things you could do or think about when you're sitting down and you're playing versus someone that's standing up or multiple people that's standing up because sure. i think there's there's a lot of fun stuff that that goes on there yeah for sure and figuring out like the value of like just instead of ripping like giving them a chance to put the last bet in with like <laughs> two cards well, a worse hand than mine <laughs> yeah worse hand which i think like almost exclusively when they put it in it's going to be worse hands than yours yeah when they like, start with check yeah, when they start with check. I, I actually think like that when you jam, they they call with a lot of the hands that will also check jam that actually have okay equity. Yeah. Like pair plus so draw. Really, we're sort of trying to this is like a spot where we're trying to induce 
Yeah, you're trying to get value from like their king queen highs and their backdoor flush draws and like jack ten yeah. high type hands. Yeah. To be perfectly honest, I'm I'm fairly certain the overriding thought was just I just really want the hand to and I don't I don't need to get value from king queen high and jack ten. It's okay. It's okay. Just just fair enough. Lose. Fair enough. You you didn't lose. Congratulations. You played the hand in a way that allowed you to not lose by flopping top pair top kicker. Uh but that said, you know, this is a new concept and extra long episode of Tactical Tuesday here. Uh, I'm excited to hear some hands when you actually make it to sitting down. Um, one of these days. Yeah. I, one of these I days. I will be the last one. <laughs> yeah. And for the listener, again, live cash preflop bootcamp. It's up. Check it out. I think, um, yeah, I think it's a wise investment into your poker education. And that's all that I've got for you here today on Tactical Tuesday. See you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community. Book a coaching session or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.